Hey, what's good, fam? I'm Rafael Freeman, and this is a podcast about entrepreneurship, the law of attraction, and what it means to take the road less traveled. You know, when you're off the beaten path, there aren't nearly as many signposts, and it's not always easy to tell which direction to go in. So in these episodes, I'll be reflecting on my own journey as I began to manifest the life that I wanted as an entrepreneur. I'll also be talking to other entrepreneurs and having them talk about their journeys and the lessons that they've learned along the way. My hope is that some of the insights that come to the surface will reflect some light on your journey and maybe even to help you step into your purpose and live a life of utter abundance. Here we go. Hey, what is good, family? Listen, you know, today I want to start with a question looking at looking at the span of 2021 as we slide into this last quarter. uh, The question I'm wondering for so many of you is, are you on track? You know, has this year looked the, the way that you thought it would? And if not, well, the question is, why not? What were some of the things that got in the way? Uh, I'm curious, certainly, you know, uh, find us on Instagram and, and let me know what are some of the challenges that you had. Uh, I think about this year for me, and I'd say the lion's share of pretty much all my projects got spent in, in two ways. You know, one during this TEDx talk that I mentioned in another episode, and the other one was completely rebuilding my, my framework, um, you know, just being able to walk people through uh, a very clear step-by-step method of achieving the results they wanted. And I got to say, it was, it was one of the hardest things that I've done in like a really long time. It was like harder than undergrad. So like not quite graduate school level of difficulty, but it was like one of the hardest things that I've done. Uh, maybe opening Uncle Bobby's was about the same amount of work, uh, but this just felt different. It felt like it was, um, I don't know, but at the end, uh, I have to say I, I'm pretty proud of the results that I got of an ability to see even inside my own thinking, uh, which allows me to, to see better in the thinking of, of other people as well. Um, and I think these first three steps of this new sort of reworked, revisioned framework is critical for anyone to even get pointed in the right direction of where they want to go, right? It's a foundation. For me, this foundation has to do with discernment, displacement, and deliberate practice. Now, I wanted three Ds, and that forced my hand a little bit in terms of uh, you know having the three Ds in terms of the word choices that I use. But I'm also like a word geek, and so you know the one of the elephants in the room might be like, well, who uses the word discernment uh, in everyday language? And the answer is I do because that's who I am. Um, and I gotta be me, you know, I gotta be me. Um, I gotta be me. Uh, so what is, what is discernment? You know, discernment is, is the act of discerning, but to discern is to mentally distinguish, right? To recognize something as distinct. And for me, this is one of these critical, I would say the very first place to start. Um, it's actually foundational. I'd say for this reason. So I may have mentioned this before, but there's this odd thing that humans like to do, and it's people like to talk about themselves. Actually, people like to talk about themselves more than any other topic. On the surface, 
that might not seem too strange. But when you start looking at the numbers, it's actually really, really interesting. It's more than 40, 50% of all the utterances that come out of people's mouths are self-referential. That's interesting enough that there are a few groups of researchers that started wondering, is there any inherent, is there a built-in benefit or um, pleasure? Do people derive intrinsic reward just from talking about themselves? And I'll give you the short answer. The short answer is yes. Not only do people like talking about themselves inherently, like this, this intrinsic value just in talking about themselves, they like it so much that they do it more than anything else. But not only that, it turns out that they get even more rewards if they offer you advice. And if they think that you're gonna take their advice, then the reward system goes through the roof. So if you are looking at people uh, in uh, an fMRI and looking at what their brain does, the reward system totally lights up if it looks as if you're gonna take their advice. What does this mean? What does this mean for us? It means that, to some degree, you can't trust people's opinions, right? If you ask anybody anything, one thing people are not going to do is vet their own opinions. They're not going to give you this, say, well, let me be very, very honest about what I know, what I don't know, and give you this, you know, uh, well-considered opinion. And that's not what they're going to do. They're going to shoot from the hip, say, well, I believe this. And what you're going to get is something that people will feel really strongly about, uh, they have a motive, they have an incentive to actually give you their their opinion, whether it's a good opinion or not. And then it's it's up to you to, to really evaluate whether or not it's good advice. Now, if you have a system in place, if you know how to discern, right, here's where discernment comes in, if you have some mechanism for telling this is good advice versus this is, is, is bad advice, then kudos to you, most people don't. So let me ask you, what is the mechanism that you have in place for making the distinction between what is good advice and what is bad advice? Who, whose advice do you heed? That's really the question. For most people, I would say they take the advice of people that they trust. It could be your parents. And we're used to that, right? We grow up listening to our moms and our dads because when we were little, they were the people who knew the most. But as we age, you would think that this relationship would change a little bit, but it doesn't. There's still lots of people. Look, if your mom or your dad is a financial expert and you're talking to them about finances, then by all means, do it. Right. But when your mom used to give you advice about scraping your knee or your dad would tell you about, you know, the, the ethics of, of having a good job and working hard. Does that then translate into a future understanding of well, of who to take advice from. And mostly I'd say people are not very good at this. They don't know who to trust. They don't know who to believe. More importantly, and more to the point, they don't know whom to listen to. This is interesting for a reason, right? Because like I said, everyone's giving us advice. It's coming from all sides. And if you can't sort it out, then you're gonna end up going down the wrong road. I know this is certainly true for me, uh, I think about my mom and, you know, I got advice very, very early as, I mean, this is what happens, right? Um, but for me, the idea was if I go to college and get a degree, then I'm going to have all the success that I could possibly know 
uh, and the world is going to be set for me, right? Uh, my mom felt that this was the way to be successful. And I don't know, what does she know, right? She wasn't successful, but I didn't have a, a means of doing that evaluation because, I, you know, one, I was too young. And even after I matured to the age where I could think for myself, I still never vetted that information. It was installed at a very young age and I never questioned it. Uh, and this happens for people all the time. I have another good friend who he was in college and his mom told him, look, you don't need to ever go to therapy. You are smart enough to figure this out on your own. And I can't tell you the amount of damage that this has done to this man's life because the type of, the type of help that he needs and actually to actually conquer his internal, um, his internal like foibles and actually do the work to break that apart and really start building new models, the tool that would be the most helpful, i.e. going to therapy, is actually unavailable to him because of this, this advice that got installed by his mom at an early age. But, you know, Robert Kiyosaki talks about this same idea in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, when, you know, his dad was six-figure earner in Hawaii. He was uh, very high up in the administration of uh, the Department of Education, I think, for the state of Hawaii. And his friend's dad, an Earl Shelf type, if you know who Earl Shelf is, his friend's dad was like an Earl Shelf type, poorly educated uh, millionaire who understood some of the things about how the world worked and was able to, you know, get around the problem that so many educated people have, especially around retirement, retire with not enough money. Uh, and so what Robert Kiyosaki brings out in Rich Dad, Poor Dad is the same idea of, one, you have to know how the world is working. I think this is a key part of discernment, but you also have to know whom to listen to. Is it just your parents? Is it, do you ask your friends for advice? Do your friends know? I mean, look at their lives and see if they know the answer. I mean, one of the key ways we can get to this answer is the life that you want to be living, the things that you want to have, the values that you want to espouse, do the people that you're asking, do they espouse those values? Do they have the things in their lives that, that you want? Are they living a type of lifestyle that you want to live? And if the answer is no, then like maybe don't listen to them. If your mom doesn't know, if your dad doesn't know, if your dad doesn't have the stuff, if your boss doesn't live the life or espouse the values that you want to be espousing, then one of the key things we have to figure out is whom to listen to, whom, you know, whose advice should you heed? This is actually a really important, I would say the very first and most pivotal step that we need to, to figure out. But I would also argue that discernment has two parts, right? Part of it is figuring out how to vet information, like I just said, these people that you're gonna look to in order to, to get proper guidance. But the other part of discernment is actually figuring out how things work, how the systems work, whatever paradigm you're in, to be able to take, extract how this paradigm works at every system, at every level of the system, and then maybe use another one. So this is not the easiest thing to do, but you fail to do it at your peril. Uh, Jim Rohn has a really, really horrible example of how he tries to explain this. Um, and I love Jim Rohn, but his explanation is, you know, imagine that there's this big thing in the sky 
and every minute or so it falls down, boom, crashes to the ground. And it goes back up in the sky and then it falls down, boom, crashes to the ground. And then it goes back up in the sky and a guy walks underneath it. He says, why does this big thing keep crashing to the ground? And the other guy says, I don't know, but you might want to get from underneath it. Personally, I understand the point that he's trying to make and it's a horrible device to, to, to explain this idea of we have to know how things work. His point is that we have to know how the world, how the systems work, and that's not that easy. But there are a few places that we can start to sort, to sort of get that. To not understand how it works, again, I would say at your peril. So, you know, I was just watching a, a documentary on a multi-level marketing company called LuLaRoe. And, you know, all of these people who, who are in the beginning of the MLM, and this is the nature of an MLM, right? You can make lots of money if you get in at the ground floor. But if you get in toward the end, you are going to get burned by necessity. It's just the, the way that MLMs work. So I can't tell you how many people I'm included in this group. I did an MLM. Um, I can't tell you how many people that I have known who, who have the sense that if I believe, right, if you believe and if you work hard and if you can navigate the system in just the right way, uh, you're going to succeed. And I'm not saying that it's quite impossible, but what I am saying is that these people who got in a year or two years or three years before you, they're telling you a story that has to do with their personal experience and their only level of analysis is what they did and their outcomes. What they don't have is a sense of perspective of how the entire system works and neither do you. And so you're comparing so essentially your internal experience, what you witness in the world, what you feel about the world, what you think about the world and in relation to what you think is the opportunity as well as what you think is the relationship to, um, to, to the outcomes that you want. And you're comparing that to what you hear from them. They also know their internal, um, they know their internal story, they have their internal narrative, they have their feelings about it, and they have a sense of the work that they've done and the outcomes that came. And if you're comparing just these two things, right, just this person's internal narrative and what's possible with your internal narrative and what you think is possible, but you don't see the system and how it works, you don't understand the nature of MLMs and how they work, period. You don't understand, let's say, for example, what a low barrier of entry means and how competition changes over time when there's a low barrier of entry. So take YouTube and I'll come back to the MLM thing. Take YouTube. If you were one of the first people on YouTube and you just stuck with it and your content even got a little bit better, I mean, you, you'd be making millions of dollars a year just off of YouTube stuff. The barrier of entry was relatively low. It's even lower now. It's easier now. It was relatively low, but it wasn't so competitive yet. The market wasn't saturated yet. You were just an early adopter. And the same is true with MLMs. If you are on the ground floor, if you're an early adopter, if you get in at the even though the barrier of entry is low, you still have a really good chance. But because the barrier of entry is low, lots of people are going to flood. And if you get in toward the end, let me tell you, 
your chances of success are zero. So what I'm saying is that there's a system, right? And you don't have to understand the system, but you fail to understand the system at your own peril. And I'm saying that your internal narrative is great. Their internal narrative is great. Have your beliefs, but you also need to know how things work. And to some degree, there is a meta way of thinking about how things work that can act as a really good guidance. There's some things you could do. You could read books about it. You could read with the experts about it. And there's a place for that. And I, not only do I condone that, I completely support that and I advocate that. And later I will advocate for that. But there is also a, a meta system of how things work. So I'll give you one of these key examples that's as old as, it's as old as the law of attraction. It's as old as the Bible. One of the ways that the world works is this. There's a saying in the Bible that says, as you sow, so shall you reap. This is incredibly powerful, even though it's a, it's a very small sentence. It's dense. It's rich with meaning, which means that if you, you know, let me say this, that I, I grew up misunderstanding this. My understanding was if you do good things, good things would happen. And if you did bad things, bad things would happen. Uh, that was, again, the interpretation of that very thing that I got from my mom. But there's a better way to think about it. Is if you want a particular thing in the world, you better sow the seeds to it. And if you don't sow, if you don't put in the things that will lead to the outcomes that you want, then it's just wishful thinking, right? You, you are not gonna get it. You might hit the lottery, but even then, it's still not gonna work out the way that you want. And realist, realistically, you're not gonna hit the lottery. So if you want a thing, you had better do the work, you had better sow the seeds that are necessary for you to have the outcome. Other than that, it's just wishful thinking. So there is a meta way of thinking about how the world works. Low barrier of entry, anybody can do it. It's not really gonna pay off. Um, if you want particular results, you have to sow those particular seeds. This is true in nature, right? This is not just like a human metaphor. It's great as a human metaphor, but it's true in nature too. If you're a farmer and you want a particular crop, and you use the law of attraction, and you go out into the field, and you meditate six hours a day. Let's say you pray, right? You pray, you meditate, you offer all the offerings to whatever God that you wanna offer to. You pray religiously, you meditate religiously. Let's say you pour some libations. You do all of that in the field, but you don't till that soil, right? You don't plant those seeds. You don't tend to those crops. You don't water that and irrigate that field. It doesn't matter how much you pray, you are not getting crops that year, right? You, you'll be hungry come, come harvest time. And all I'm saying is that this is the way the world works, period, right? You can't, same thing, you, you can't wish for muscles and not go to the gym. You can't wish to have a fit body and not work out, right? There's a way that all this stuff works and you have to sow these particular seeds. So discernment is important because it's the very first place to start in order to get the things that you want. You have to know, you know, am I reading the Bible? Is it as you sow, so shall you reap? Is it a good source? Or, you know, am I reading 
48 Laws of Power. Yeah, I said it. I said it. Um, or are you reading something like that, which is going to steer you in the wrong direction? That's right. I said it. 48 Laws of Power. No bueno. Um, disagree with me you like, right? I, I can prove it to you. You look at any, any political treatise anywhere. Let's take von Clausewitz, right, who's one of the foremost political thinkers, uh, was w one of the foremost political thinkers in the world. Read Niccolo Machiavelli's The Prince, read Clausewitz, and then go back and read The 48 Laws of Power and you tell me if you think it stands up. Because there are real generals on the face of the planet right now who use Clausewitz and use, um, and use, you know, the other one that I said, whatever that was, um, uh, Machiavelli, but no one, or, you know, no, no one uses Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power as a way of running a state or anything else. Um, but be that as it may, I would say I don't want to digress, but I've already digressed. Uh, the, the, the point is, there is a way of, uh, of figuring it out, and our job is to know whose advice to heed and figure out how the system works. And both of these things are not necessarily easy, uh, but you have to do it anyway. In terms of whose advice to heed, there's a little bit more direction that, that we can have. Um, find the people who have the things that you want, who are living the lifestyle that you want to be living, who espouse the values that you want to be evincing, and listen to them, right? And they're not going to get it all right all the time. But listening to your buddy versus listening to, you know, I don't know, Ray Dalio. Uh, Ray Dalio is going to steer you in a better direction when it comes to certain types of things, right? So maybe Ray Dalio is not an expert on relationships and you should listen to him. You shouldn't listen to him necessarily on that. Uh, but when it comes to certain things in life, Ray Dalio is just going to steer you in a better direction than your buddy who is broke is. Right? That's just, just, just the reality. So start there. People who have the things you want, they're living the lifestyle you want to be living. They embody the values that you want to embody. Uh, and that's a really good starting place for figuring out whose advice to heed. In terms of how the system works, know that there are universal systems that are true at every level. Right? And so sowing and reaping is true at every level. Understanding the low barrier to entry will lead to a flood of competitors. That's going to be true at every level. Um, so yeah, as far as starting points go, I, I like the idea of discernment. I like the idea of discerning what are the things, what are the mental ideas and the, the, the mental models that are necessary for me to be pointed in the right direction. And this is important because so many people are pointed in the wrong direction, right? We're, we're using a model that was, I don't know, that's, that's 40 years old. People think, you know, e the way our schooling is shaped, the way our college is shaped, this is all shaped for this post Upton Sinclair, post industrial revolution, uh, you know, early, you know, 1900s, mid 1900s way of doing things. Even I would say, you know, maybe, um, maybe late 1900s as well, uh, late 20th century as well. But the way our schooling is shaped, it's the same model, it's the same paradigm that embodies this thinking that we're gonna get a job, work there for 40 years, and then retire, set our kids up to do the same thing. 
But like that model is different now. That model is changing. We're not doing that anymore. I don't know anyone who's worked 40 years, you know, I mean, unless they're old already. But young people aren't doing that. We're not doing that anymore. And so that model is done, but our schooling hasn't reflected that. Our education hasn't reflected that. And so what does it mean to not understand the system that you're in? That's super important. Um, so like I said, there's so many people who are actually pointed in the wrong direction. We know that the outcomes in terms of like life satisfaction. Uh, right now, you know, post pandemic, we're in this, this moment called the great resignation where lots of six figure earners and professionals are just leaving their jobs trying to find things that are new. But why does the great resignation happen? People were already dissatisfied with their work. People were already unhappy. This is before the pandemic. We know that up to 70% of the, the U.S. workforce felt unengaged to very unengaged. That the amount of revenue lost, the amount of GNP lost because of, of poor work engagement was in the order of $3 billion a year. So people were already disengaged. People were already... Uh, un unhappy at work by the time COVID happens of course there's a great resignation and it's not just professionals it's also it's servers and cooks and baristas and then you have gentrification and you know the real estate market and now there are other types of entities that are trying to move into the real estate market it's going to make it even more complicated so it's important to know which direction you're going whether you're heading in the right direction uh, and the way that you do that is discerning uh, how things are working, and whose advice to heed. So, yeah, um, let me know. You know, if there's any pushback, if there's any feedback, do you have any points of agreement, you want to tell me how great I am, or tell me how wrong I am. Let me know. Certainly, uh, find, find me in the comments. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, Utter Abundance, and next time we'll, we'll talk about what I think the next step is for laying the, the foundation. All right, peace.